0: Jennifer Carlson, welcome to the conversation today. Thanks, John. It is a pleasure to be with you. You're joining us from the Seattle area. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about the need for technology apprenticeship programs. There's so many different ways to think about the challenging skills gaps in the labor economy right now. Um, and this is a really kind of interesting and unique way of thinking about how to address those skills gaps, technology apprenticeship programs. We have apprenticeship programs in other fields. This could be a really great opportunity if we can learn how to leverage it better. Uh, as we get started, I wanted to share Jennifer's bio with everybody. Jennifer Carlson serves as co founder and executive director of Apprenti. Apprentice is a nonprofit organization that creates alternative pathways to access tech talent and help organizations address digital skills shortages while providing economic mobility to underrepresented groups by identifying, training, and placing diverse talent in tech careers. Additionally, she serves on tech councils of North America, Workforce Board, and as adjunct professor in graduate studies at Seattle University. Again, a pleasure to have you. Anything else you would like to highlight by way of your background or personal context before we dive on in?
1: Other than I don't come from technology as a traditional practitioner, Uh, I actually came from insurance and other industries running large P&Ls and was an executive sponsor of tech projects.
0: Well, why don't we start by um, just exploring this idea in in broad terms? um, What exactly is a technology apprenticeship program as you conceive of it and as you've seen it play out in different spaces? And then we can dig in a little bit more as to the need and how we can best leverage it.
1: Apprenticeship in general is a, a hybrid training model of a combination of classroom and hands-on skill. As you said, it happens in a lot of industries, but the word apprenticeship is most traditionally tied to the building trades, blue-collar jobs in the US. Um, but in reality, it's it's exists in medicine. We call it residency, clerking, yeah. and law. It has many names, um, but it's an opportunity for people to skill up, reskill, however you want to look at it, without necessarily having to go the college route, which is when you know, been the predominant location for where we find our talent today. Um, and so they take accelerated classroom, mix it with some level of mentored hands-on skills. You put those two things together and you have an apprenticeship.
0: And even in the university space, you know, we we see the use of apprenticeships or apprenticeship-like experiential learning uh, is is very common, increasingly common. And you know, I I was thinking just as you were describing some of those, you know, things like student teaching um, for uh, educators—not exactly what you're talking um, about—but it's a model I think most people are very familiar with, right? Um, How it plays out. And even in—I'm a university professor; that's my full-time gig, and I I um, teach in the HR, Organizational Development Change Management Program, and we lean very heavily on experiential learning, um, real-world consulting projects, those sorts of things, so that by the time our students leave, not only have they, you know, learned the coursework and the concepts and the the knowledge that's going to help them be successful, but they've worked on developing the actual skills to help them be successful because they've done it. They've done the work they've been mentored. They've been coached along the way to help them develop their chops. And, you know, that's really ultimately, I think what employers are wanting nowadays, they don't want someone who's just gone through kind of the quote unquote traditional university kind of experience where they've, you know, sat through exams and regurgitated and blah, blah, blah. They want people who know how to do stuff. um, And, apprenticeship programs is just a really great way to do it. And like you said, it's a great way to do it uh, without the traditional um, kind of baggage of, of a university experience. And I say that as someone who is a professor at a university, and I know you are too. Um, Like it's, that has a really important role for sure in, in uh, developing the the workforce of the future. Um, But there are so many people that can do amazing work that don't need to go through the traditional kind of four-year degree process and can be reskilled or upskilled much faster um, through things like these technology apprenticeship programs.
1: Yeah, I think that there's there's you know kind of two points of view to this because I'm with you. I mean, we we you and I probably went through traditional higher ed for ourselves the same way. Um, a, we have a growing divide in this country of people choosing not to go to the university route for one of many reasons, whether it's the mm-hmm. cost or it's simply not um, something that was part of their upbringing, right? And this is, yeah. or, or from a, a learning modality perspective, that isn't their preferred learning modality. They prefer yeah. a environment and universities don't necessarily give it that way. Um, and so, you know, fewer than 70 or 30% of America go to university and only about two thirds of that graduate from it, which means- the density of our population isn't going near a university, which if we're going to find a way to close the talent gap, and I do believe that there are amply enough people in this country domestically that can do the work. They just need a different learning modality to get to it. um, Then we're, we're going to be in a perpetual upside down problem. And we have it in all sectors. This isn't just a tech problem. Mm The other half of this equation is it's, it's not about, um, replacing the baggage, as you called it, the university track, it's let's put the emphasis where it belongs. And we've made a mistake since the 80s in this pivot towards universities and colleges and four-year degrees being what we perceive to be as as the gold standard and saying you have to have one. And now we've put that requirement or limit on every job in tech, even customer service and entry-level jobs. And the reality is, is a lot of the jobs in tech don't require that. (laughs) <laughs> um, so. You know, we've kind of created our own bottleneck in a way. And so not to take anything away from universities, we've got internships that we do, but there's not a lot of consistency in those, whereas an apprenticeship is a more rigorous and standardized system so that you know what you're getting out of it. And if somebody has comp- uh, completed an apprenticeship in technology as a software developer in company A, and they change to an industry in another company, but it's for the same kind of job, the, the core functions of those jobs stay the same right? They look more like an electrician than we think um, because the current runs the same way for everybody. Well, writing Java looks the same virtually for everybody with distinctions made for HIPAA compliance if you're doing it in healthcare versus financial services compliance if you're doing it in high finance. But the core still looks the same. Well, that's what an apprenticeship does, whereas an internship, which is what we're used to, doesn't necessarily do that. You may go to an internship for six months and do six different things for a month, or an mm-hmm. intern for six months and do one thing for six months. And mm-hmm. there's no, no consistency to that for companies to be able to consume. And then the bigger issue is we have a limit. And, and we have hit that limit. We only graduate 85,000 computer science degrees, which is the preferred degree for this sector, a year at the four-year level. We're opening hundreds of thousands of jobs annually. We There's mm-hmm. no way to close that gap. We left over a million jobs open last year. Um, college alone can't close that. So we're going to have to find a parallel path and create another way in. And the best way to design that is not, yes, there should be some increased capacity on the university side, but there also needs to be a pathway for people where university just isn't part of the, of the, the journey.
0: Yeah, and, and one of the things that I really appreciated about your nonprofit that you do work with is specifically utilizing things like technolo- technology apprenticeship programs to reach out to underrepresented groups. Uh, and so we know, for example, you just shared a bunch of stats around you know college uh, attendance and and finishing college, we know that underrepresented groups are less likely to go to college in the first place, and if they do go, they're less likely to co- to complete and to finish. And so, in some cases, it's even worse for them to go to college because if they go to college and they incur all this debt and then they walk away a couple years later, there's all the opportunity costs of all the time invested plus all the debt, and they're no closer to having any credential to help them be successful in the workforce. Um, And, you know, that's one of the, I think, pretty valid critiques of higher ed right now is we have to find a better way to serve diverse populations. And and these types of apprenticeship programs um, really open up opportunities and reduce barriers to entry, I think, for a lot of individuals who otherwise might not be uh, best served uh, through a traditional four year kind of education.
1: Agreed. And and the good thing about this, um, and we designed it this way from the get-go, there's no cost to the people coming through the program. So the education and the training cost is right now being borne, frankly, by state and federal government with the employer. Um, and so they're getting through the classroom training to get the fundamentals for the specific job that they're going to go into as an apprentice. Um, and they're getting that training at a level that the employer needs. So we're able to modify the curriculum to meet industry requirements as opposed to the way curriculum has been historically done, um, which is, you know, due to accreditation, it has to hit a certain bar, but also doesn't change and evolve very often. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this allows us to find best of breed in the moment and find the training provider that can deliver what the employers need at today's standard quickly, um, but also, Uh, At a depth of knowledge, that frankly, more often than not, they're coming into the job farther ahead on the curve than fresh out of college grads. Um, Mm -hmm. What's missing is that the college grads get the fundamentals of theory that they don't get in an accelerated classroom environment on the apprenticeship side. So the two sides are almost complementary. Less hands on on the university, but theory is there. And more hands-on without the theory on the apprenticeship side. And we even ask employers if they have the means or if they're enterprise level to match the two together when they come in um, so that they can be mentoring each other and and not just rely on the mentor who's full-time in the job to help them.
0: Lest we come across as like really um, being negative towards higher education, of course... You know, I want to dispel that. I'm a big believer. I'm a a full-time university professor. Uh, Mm I have been, you know, on the tenure track uh, and a full professor now for for 15 years. And so it's hugely important, but you're highlighting, you know, some of the gaps at quote-unquote traditional university type. Mm experiences, right? Yep. And what I've seen, so I'm at a, a regional teaching university, Utah Valley University, south of Salt Lake City. Um, we are open enrollment, meaning we serve everybody, anyone who comes, um, which I really love the mission of the university. We're trying to reach underrepresented individuals um, and to help them be successful, meet them where they're at and help them to achieve. And perhaps it's due to our mission, perhaps it's due to our open enrollment kind of approach, but um, but we have kind of deeply embedded in our DNA this idea that we have to really create career-ready individuals, um, people that have tangible skill sets. So kind of marrying the two, like you were just describing, taking the theory with the practice, more experiential learning, and really building that, embedding that throughout the programs. And uh, I'm just a huge believer in that, and I would love to see more universities go that direction, Um because I, I think we just better serve those people that um, that we take in. Um, now that said, again, uh, coming back to this idea of apprenticeships, you know, that some people it's just not the in the in their best um, interest to go, you know, take time out of work and go take a, a full time four year degree kind of um, traditional university experience, um, and so these types of nationally registered apprenticeship programs and technology can really be a huge help. Can you walk us through kind of the nitty gritty of what that looks like, what those experiences often entail? Um, Perhaps either there's people listening today who could see that as valuable for themselves or for, you know, their loved ones, or perhaps, you know, a a leader who's listening might think, oh, this might be a new approach that we should really explore in trying to attract and retain top talent and reskill and upskill our workforce.
1: Sure. Yeah. So uh, apprenticeship is a job first and foremost. So the classroom training is 20% of the apprenticeship. Um, So you're looking at, you know, several hundred hours over the course of an apprenticeship of learning time um, in a classroom environment, uh, which could be in our case, virtual. Um, And then there's a minimum of 2000 hours on the job where they're doing the work Um, being mentored by somebody in the job. And those two things coming together is what makes an apprenticeship. Classroom time alone without the job is pre-apprenticeship. The job has to be there as part of the equation. So it's an earn and learn model. You're being paid um, an apprentice wage, which is below the wage of a fully qualified person, but it's still an employee wage with benefits and everything that comes with that for you in that 2000 hours. The apprentice comes to us uh, for the record, median age in our program is 32, so these are people who are further along in life. To your point, they're you know either not able to go back to school and start over at that stage, or um, yeah, you know, they're going to be doing it in a in an online environment um, or a uh, night and weekend kind of environment. Which, sadly, in our industry from a tech perspective, is not where most of the recruiting gets done, but it is where the greatest mm-hmm. audience is. Um, So you put those two things together, the apprentices come through and take a basic skills assessment online at apprenticecareers.org. And that teaches us what they're at in a math competency level and basic logic and critical thinking. Are they good problem solvers? Those are really the two most important facets to getting into tech. Math is really at an algebra level with some geometry. You're You're not writing algorithms in your head or fixing code, right? We just want to see what your baseline is. If you score over an 80, you're in our candidate pool. And the employers are coming in and putting up jobs and saying, we're going to take five cyber analysts, we're taking 10 software developers, we're taking, um, you know, 20 cloud operations people, whatever that platform is that they need the additional help in, where they've got staff that they can pair up, they're committing that headcount to an apprenticeship. And we work with them to internally work through culture, and how to onboard how to even interview differently, because these are not technology centric interviews. Um, Mm -hmm our soft skills interviews because you're sponsoring them to learn in the job. Um, right. And we're kind of facilitating, as I jokingly refer to it, eHarmony for Tech. And we're, we're doing the quantitative and the qualitative. The quantitative is that skills assessment that you have to score 80 on before you're in my pool. But then we're going to interview you to get at what skills are you bringing to the table? Um, you know, if you've only worked in food service, you've got... Um, you know, supply chain and payroll and hiring and times and you've got all of these skills that when they're de identified from where you did them, have a greater value to the employer and that's what we're sharing with the employer are the skill sets you bring to the table, and then they're choosing the candidates they're going to pull in that are being sent to class with that cost being covered by federal government, state governments, and uh, employers. And then they have a start date and they're going to go to that job. They're going to know who that employer is before they get going. They've got a job offer. The only thing stopping them from getting to that is the completion of the classroom time. Mm -hmm. Um, Unlike the building trades where you think of apprenticeship and they might do five years where you're one day in classroom and four days on job, the tech sector said, we don't have that capacity we move too quickly and too much changes. So we've compressed the classroom time to the front of the apprenticeship. So you'll do four or five months in classroom before you start your job, and then you do that for a year. And then at the end, 88.5% of them stay with their employer of record and are full-time employees at full rate um, and are now in the sector. And they're overlooking Um, or doing away with let's say the the college degree requirement you've now proven that you have it call it a one-year audition right Mm -hmm. You've now proven that you can do the work you know their systems you know how they operate you've been ingrained in their organization and they're happy to keep you that's their whole point in doing this is it's it's a trained to retain model for employers to cultivate new talent
0: yeah i love so much about that i love that this is uh Something you're learning while you're doing, you're getting paid while you're learning, while you're doing that. So many of those individuals are retained by the organizations into more traditional full time, uh, normal industry rate uh, employment uh, after completion. All of that's incredible. Um, and and I also, you know, as an HR professor, one of my biggest pet peeves is the arbitrary, you know, requirements that you see in so many job postings about years of experience or degree uh you know requirements is it necessary oh. sometimes to have a college degree? Sure. Is it yeah. necessary sometimes to have three to five years of experience? Sure. But okay. what you end up seeing in like almost every job posting is like by default they say four year degree and three to five years of experience, and then you're just like, well, what in the world oh. is anyone supposed to do? <laughs> it's just so dumb. How, how do I
1: get it. If I can't get it,
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just so dumb, and and so you're you're artificially reducing your candidate pool by having those types of requirements. So I'm I'm really happy to see that many organizations are really. Challenging Challenging the status quo on that and, and pulling back and recognizing, oh, that doesn't – does it actually matter? If it does, great, keep it. But if it doesn't, then let's pull it back and, and that will allow us to hire a much more diverse workforce uh, and meet the skills gaps that we have. Because like you said, you know, we have this huge skills gap. We're not graduating enough people from a traditional university um, degree program to fill all these jobs – but we have people like we have tons of people in this country who could do this work. If we make it more accessible to them.
1: That's right. There, there's a huge level of underemployment. I, I mm-hmm. we, because we focus on underrepresented minorities, women, veterans, persons with disabilities, those are our targets for bringing into this. Um, I will tell you that um, the number one role or occupation that comes to us are newly separating military, right? They're, they're about to be veterans. Uh, number two uber drivers (laughs) like these are people who have been working but and have a desire for something more but either don't know where to start and can't get going or don't have the means to just quit and go back and start over and and so yeah third 31 32 makes sense for that population to say okay it's time for me to kind of settle in and find an actual career and how's a what's a better way of getting there than through an apprenticeship rather than going to university From a Uh, earnings perspective, just to kind of, you know, give a framework for people to think through Uh, 25% of the people who come to us are unemployed or long-term unemployed. And then of the 75% that have an employment record or are employed coming to us, they're earning just under $40,000 a year. And a lot of them are working two jobs to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, So underemployed. And then in the apprenticeship, the national average, and obviously Midwestern market will be lower and coastal will be higher you're looking at um, in the 60s in their apprenticeship plus benefits and everything that comes with that. And the retained wage nationally is is in the mid 80s. So Mm -hmm. you're looking in 17 months, 18 months going from unemployed or just under 40 to 85 plus.
0: Yeah, incredible. So what would you say to employers who are looking at upgrading their employment by joining the tech space in this way using? technology apprenticeship programs?
1: Um, a, a couple of things. We, we've learned along the way that um, you can have all the executive sponsors in the world. Um, but at the end of the day, if it doesn't transcend the entire organization, it doesn't work. Mm. And so uh, that where we love to come in and have a conversation with senior leadership about how to become a, an, a training organization for yourselves Um, The first thing I'm going to ask is what are you doing to address this in your culture and change it throughout your organization? Because if your recruiters, since you're an HR professional, are still only going out looking for the college degree, three to five years experience, like it isn't transcending. You're not changing your behavior. And so that has to change at every level. And that's the first conversation we're having with companies. If you're ready or if you're already making a commitment to make those changes, then apprenticeship is a natural next step. Then we can help you operationalize that very quickly. But um, if you want to have a culture conversation, we will also have that with you first so that you can start the preparation work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Jennifer, this has just been a fascinating conversation. Hopefully it's mind opening for a lot of people who haven't Necessarily considered this kind of a model towards reskilling and upskilling and attracting and retaining great talent. Uh, we've been exploring specifically in the tech space, but I think the principles here apply <laughs> to a lot of different um, sectors and a, a lot of different job types. Uh, and so, I think it's really important for us to think creatively and outside the box about how we can meet the the skills gaps and demands, you know, of of the the workforce of today and tomorrow. As we finish up for today, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with the audience how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, your team, and then give us a final word on the topic for today.
1: Sure. Uh, So feel free to email me, jcarlson at ApprentiCareers.org. You are welcome to find me on LinkedIn and ping me there as well and look for me under Apprenti Um, and uh, or visit our website, ApprentiCareers.org and and send me an email through the, the website if you're interested in learning more. I would say uh, on two sides of the coin here for the prospective candidates, I would say don't sell yourself short. Um, Just because you think tech is hard doesn't mean that all jobs look the same uh, any more than what companies have had to figure out, which is not all jobs are made the same. And so, yes, there are some jobs that require a higher level degree or a PhD in math if you're going to be a data scientist, but not all jobs require that. Um, And so, employers, uh, look critically at the jobs that have to have a college degree and and start looking at declassifying uh, those jobs that don't and making them apprenticeship ready. Um, and then on the candidate side, don't sell yourself short, apply for apprenticeships and um, and go online and watch videos and learn about what a day in the life looks like for each of the roles that you'll see on our site so that you can understand what kinds of skill sets are are being looked for, because if you're a good problem solver, you might find yourself to be an excellent tech practitioner.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I encourage okay. the audience to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Jennifer and her team can do for you. Let's think creatively about tech jobs and tech apprenticeships. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week.